Good morning, guys. Well, I'm really loud. Is it because I'm standing in this crevice back here? Probably. Man, I'm thankful to be here. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I wasn't thankful to be here this morning, though. I just wasn't feeling it. I didn't, I didn't really want to talk to anybody. I didn't really want to have community this morning. And I couldn't figure it out. And then I came out here and I worshipped. And then I was like, oh, that was the enemy trying to get at me. Right? I don't know if y'all ever feel like that. Some of you are probably like, woke up this morning and were like, I didn't go to bed till 2 a.m. I don't want to drive 30 minutes to church. I don't want to get up at 9 a.m., right? Some of you are probably like, this is not going to happen today. And then you just felt this presence pushing you. And that's what was happening to me this morning. So I want you to know that's okay. But what is not okay is to listen to the enemy. To be like, no, this is where I need to be, because if you say, no, I need to stay in my bed and need to not go and worship, then what you're doing is you're taking away your spiritual energy, right? You're, you're saying, I don't know if I want a victory today. I don't know if I can handle a victory today, because what I love about that song is it talks about the victory that we can have, but the victory that we can have is not always the victory that we imagine, Right? You're not going to wake up and it's going to be a victory of you having a million dollars in your bank today. You're probably not going to get a victory like that. You might wake up and you might just get out of bed. Victory! Because it's real hard to get out of bed some days, am I right? Like, not just because you're tired. Sometimes it's just because you got a lot going on. Sometimes it's just a heftiness that you're like, I cannot face today. That's a victory when you say, no, I can face it because I'm not facing it alone. That's a victory. See, there's, there's a few things that God really dislikes, and one of those is false gods. In Exodus 34, it says that, My name is jealous. Many of you heard that misinterpreted as God is a jealous God. It's my name is jealous. The Lord Almighty, Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord Almighty, the King of Kings, the Creator, the everything, is a, has a jealous name. Now, what does it mean that He has a jealous name? See, God is not jealous for Himself because He's worried about other gods. God does not care about other gods because God knows that He has victory over every single one of those gods. When it says that God has a jealous name, what it's saying is that God is jealous for you. God is jealous for you. He wants you more than anything else in the entire world. And anything that will even look like it's going to take you away from him, he fights against because he wants a victory for you in the name of God. Right? He doesn't want you to be pulled away from him. He, he's jealous for you. He has a jealous name. The fact that he is creator means that he is sufficient. And so, so often people wonder, well, why is God jealous if God is supreme? He's not jealous because he's worried. He's not jealous because he fears that they will have victory over him. He is jealous because he knows our insufficiency, because he knows how easily swayed we are. And so his name is jealous because he wants us over all things. He desires us, and so he fights for us. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 7 today, and we're going to Kind of, you guys are going to read Exodus chapter 7, a lot of you probably for the first time in your lives. And you're going to hear Exodus chapter 7 a lot differently than you ever have heard in your life. But this week, God has been speaking to me so prevalently, and I went through a, a kind of a wilderness season where I wasn't hearing God speak that much. I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. I was spending time with Him. I was in silence and solitude. I was meditating. I was in prayer. I was doing all of these things. But God just wasn't showing up in the burning bush for me. God wasn't showing up. He was giving me peace. He was comforting me. He was with me. He was giving me uh, encouragement through his word. But I wasn't hearing his voice. And then God began to speak this week and told me the reason that I wasn't hearing his voice. Because he was helping me realize that there's times when I won't hear his voice except through his word. And accept through his body. Now, we're not always going to be hearing an audible voice of God. We've talked about that. But I believe that God does use an audible voice through his Holy Spirit to speak to you. And so this week, God began to just pour out all these words of encouragement. God began to pour out all this vision to me. And it was just a week of encouragement. A week of excitement and passion. 
But then I got here this morning and it all disappeared. And I couldn't figure out why, right? I love my church. I love everything that the Lord has done. But I was like, why? What is going on? And then I realized because of the excitement and the passion that God was giving me, Satan would place every distraction in my path to throw me off. Like I came in here this morning and the floor is a little bit dirty. That threw me off. Our pro presenter, whatever it's called, wasn't working this morning. It threw me off. Right? We, had, we were missing our communion. That threw me off. There was these little things that just kept throwing me off. But I had to realize that the enemy doesn't have control over me, but he does have control over the things around me. And so the way that I achieved victory, the way that I'm standing before you preaching with passion right now, is because of the worship of my Father. See, by myself, I can't do it. But when I worshiped God, I realized my insufficiency and realized the one who is fighting for me because he is jealous for me. He's jealous for you. That's why he's allowed me to come and to preach the word of God to you. Because many of you may be lacking in a relationship with Jesus. Many of you may be just taking it easy in your relationship with Jesus. And God wants more from you. Does he want more money? No. Does he want more time? Maybe not. But he wants more of a heart set on worship for you. He wants you to not feel like I felt this morning. I think the reason that he allowed me to feel like that so that I could come here and I could speak to one person who feels like that. Just burdened to worship. Burdened to come to church. Burdened to serve. God wants you to hear, don't be burdened, worship, and you'll find that the burden dissipates. The burden is eliminated through the worship of Jesus Christ. Because he's going to make a victory. Because he's a way maker. That's funny. Did, who planned the songs? Dustin, did we do that on purpose? Waymaker and then make a victory? Isn't that awesome? Right? That's just a Holy Spirit coincidence, right? He's making a way to victory, but the victory doesn't always look like we expect. Today we're going to look at Moses again. We've been going through the Bible from Genesis. We're in Exodus chapter 7, and we're already seven months in. Yeah. At the beginning of the year, I was like, we're going to go through the Bible in one year. Now we're in Exodus 7. And we only have five months later left. We're not going to do it in one year. Honestly, we might not even finish Exodus this year. But I'm thankful for that because I think the Lord has a lot to teach us. And I hope that you guys have been encouraged as we journey through Exodus. And as we look at Moses and Aaron today, we're going to see a few key elements Remember last week we saw the fear that Moses had after he had been rejected by his own people again. After Pharaoh had rejected him, God had to have a long dialogue with him. He had to offer him some encouragement, but Moses had to be real because it's okay to be real with God. It's okay to tell God how you're feeling, but at the end of the feeling you got to tell him who he is, right? Prayer, process, and praise. We talk to God for real, and then we praise him for who he is. Because when we praise God for who he is, we receive, receive the power of who he is. And so Moses had a real talk with God last week, and then God gave him a real encouragement, and God gave him a real challenge. Then this week, we're going to look at Moses and Aaron going to fulfill that challenge. But before we do that, I'm going to need to pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, in the midst of all the obstacles, in the midst of all the discouragement, in the midst of all the burden, in the midst of all the pain and the sadness and the brokenness, let us remember the King of Kings. Let us remember to set our eyes upon you, because when we set our eyes upon you, nothing around us can destroy us. Father God, because when we pursue the King of Kings with all victory, when we pursue you with all faith, we know that you'll bless the journey. Father God, for your word, I pray that today that I won't mess it up because I am able to mess it up if it wasn't for your Holy Spirit. So, Father God, in the midst of Ricky Wilson trying to mess things up, I pray that your spirit would fix it, that it would repair it, that it would articulate it, that it would translate it to the people in these seats, and that they would hear the victory of Jesus Christ. They would hear the victory of God the Father, and they would hear the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in which you give us. So, Father God, let our worship be pure today. Let our hearts be set on you today, and let us receive the victory that you have for us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it's 1052. The baby shower begins at noon. We have an hour and eight minutes, so I'm going to need you guys 
to listen fast, okay? Because if we get out of here late, it's not my fault, it's your fault, okay? Right? I preach really fast. I, I get done 30 minutes or less. It's usually because, y'all, you holding me up. So today, you can't hold me up. you got to work with me, okay? And we'll get out of here by 11.59. So, okay, Exodus chapter 7. Hey, will you all do me a favor? Let's do something a little different. Will you stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word? And it's going to be a long chapter, so just bear with me. Exodus chapter 7, starting in verse 8, says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down the staff, and it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Y'all can have a seat. I'm not going to make you stand for the whole thing. I was just seeing how scared you would get. You did a good job, but wasn't very scared. And so what we see here is that Moses and Aaron had listened to the command of the Lord. They had gone back to the Israelites even after the rejection. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. Did you guys know that Aaron was the one who did the staff throwing? I think we forget about that sometimes because we always assume that it was Moses. Like in every picture I've ever seen of Moses, he's the one holding the staff. In every movie you see that Moses is the one who throws down the staff. But it's very interesting that Aaron is the one who throws the throwing down of the staff. And I think that plays back into Exodus 4, 5, and 6, where uh, God tells Moses, you will be like God to Aaron, and he will be your prophet. Right? It's continuing to set up that picture of God and Jesus Christ, God sending and performing, and Jesus carrying out the mission of God. And so it's very interesting, because Aaron is the one who throws down the staff. It says, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and just did just as the Lord commanded Aaron threw his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Now, we're going to see the word snake a little bit throughout this uh, section of Scripture. And what I want you to know is that the term snake, the Hebrew word for it is actually tanin. And when we think of snake, we think of a, like a garden snake or like a, maybe like a rattlesnake. The term tanin, the term that is used here in Hebrew, does not mean a garden variety snake. It means a serpent or a dragon. Yeah. And so in the garden, what we see is that the same language was used when God created the sea, the creatures of the sea. When he talks about the serpent in the garden, he does not use the same language. And so there's a special language that's being used right here. God is not just saying, I threw down a snake. God is saying, I threw down a sea monster or a dragon, something big. It wasn't just your variety snake. It was something with power. And so God throws down that staff, and it becomes a tanin. To the Hebrews, it meant something with power, something large, something uh, that you would have reverence for. And so the word tanin is used right here, and it says that then the magicians came. So the tanin is created out of the staff, and then the magicians and sorcerers come, and they do the same thing. Many of you are sitting there, how did they do the same thing? What's well, interesting, but I did a lot of research on this this week, and Egypt is actually famous for something called snake charming. Have you all ever heard of snake charming? It's where they play a flute, and the snake like does a thing, and it's all cool, right? And some of you tried to do it when you were a kid with a worm, and it didn't work, right? And so that was just me, I guess. And so uh, the snake charming, and so many uh, scholars believe that the way that they did this was that they charmed snakes or these uh, these huge snakes into looking like a staff. And then when they came before Pharaoh, they threw them down and they instantly became snakes again. See, what we have to remember is that when God performs a miracle, there's no way to put a question in about it. He does it in a way where there can be no question. He does it in a way where only he could do it. But when we try to perform something that looks like it, it just doesn't even look remotely the same. Right? When we try to do something that only God can do, or we try to do something by our own ability, we see that it doesn't live up to the standard of God. 
We see that it can never be a miraculous sign like God's miraculous sign. See, the sign of the magicians was less than. And how do we know that? Because Aaron and Moses' tanin ate theirs. Straight up ate it. Think about that. You got these uh, serpent, this monstrous thing, and then they make some, and then it just eats them. Just consumes them. It says, then Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. So Satan is at work right here too, right? Because God is performing these miraculous signs, and then these people are coming and performing less than signs. But Pharaoh is saying, oh, that's not God then says his heart was hardened. He's saying, no, that's not God. And the reason that this is happening, the reason that uh, they use the word tanin, the reason that God consumes those other snakes with his serpent is because of this. In the Old Testament times and in uh, research, what we find out is there was a document that was discovered in a Nineveian library, but it was a Babylonian resource, and it was called the Elimu Elhi. Okay, now that's probably not how it's pronounced, but I'm doing my best. So it's called the Alihu Ali. Okay, and that was the uh, the myth, the mythical creation of mankind according to the Babylonians and early Middle Easterns. And so in this uh, Alihu Ali is this woman named Tamat. Now, Tamat is the one who was uh, responsible for all creation. You know what she was? She was a tanin. She was a serpent. She was a dragon in most uh, uh, depictions of her. She was this dragonist god. And she created her and this other god named Al, or A-U, however we want to pronounce that, created many gods. And these mini-gods did the uh, service of the ultimate gods, which were Tamar and Al. Okay? And so these mini-gods eventually created human beings. These human beings were created to to do the bidding of the ultimate gods. And so many people have looked at the Elihu Eli and says that this is actually where people get the Bible from. Because they said that it's predated before the Bible. Now, when we look at historically, we find out that that is just a load. But people like to try to discredit the Bible. They say that a lot of the same things in this uh, myth is similar to what's in the Bible. But how I know that it's not similar to what it has in the Bible is because God did not create humans to do his bidding. God created humans for worship. In this other religion, this other story of creation, humans were created as a slave to do the bidding of the gods. That sounds nothing like the Bible. Now, but the reason that God did this was because people in this time still worshipped every single year that Tamar, Tamat, they still worshipped her as the creator of all things. And so when God sends his serpent, it consumes them. He is saying to them, you want to worship something that I created, then I will show you that I am supreme over that creation. I will show you in real life sources, real life dragons. You want to see a real dragon? You want to see a real sea monster? I will show you one, and I will show you that everything you come up with, everything you try to fathom, everything you try to put your stamp on, will be consumed by me, because I am the supreme creator. And so God destroys all of their uh, faulty thinking through one act. See, as we're going to see as we go throughout Scripture, is that the plagues that God puts on the Egyptian, every single one of them is a way to defeat an Egyptian God. To show the Egyptians and the Israelites that God is God of all things. So when they come up with this story, the, Eli, the Elihu Eli, what it was is a way for them to explain the creation of the world by their own abilities. And what God says is, let me show you who I really am. So with the Egyptians standing there, this would have meant something powerful to them. This would have been mind-blowing to them. This would have been mind-blowing to the Israelites. It would have had so much symbolism in it. They would have gotten that, would have made sense to them. 
the Egyptians tried to create something that they could worship that would be according to their standards. See, everybody in this room tries to create something to worship that will be easy to worship by their standards. We worship so many different things. Some of you try to take God and you try to put your own spin on him. Well, God is God, but the word doesn't really matter. And I will say to you, well, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God, and God created all things through the word. And so if you're not willing to read the word and you're not willing to abide by the word, then you better worship something else because you're not worshiping God. You can put every which spin you want to on it, but you're not worshiping God. And then some of you are like, well, the God that I worship doesn't care if I come to church. Well, the God that you worship is not God. Maybe it's Tamat, right? Because that God just wants you to serve him in little ways. That God just wants you to be a slave. So you go worship that God because our God is concerned with you at church. Why? So we can check off your attendance? No, because you are part of the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ comes together, God calls it his bride. And you don't say to your bride, you're not that important. If you do, you will no longer be married. Or you'll be coming to me and we'll be doing some counseling. And I'm going to look you in the face and say, you need help. And I'm going to help you. Right? You don't tell your bride you're not that important. God does not tell his bride that it's not that important. You may be trying to worship a God with your own spin, but I'll tell you what, you're not worshiping God, so you better get your chart in check. You might be like, well, my relationship with Jesus is my own relationship. It doesn't matter about other people. You're not worshiping God. Because the Bible says that the body of Christ, that the people of Christ are the body of Christ. And the body each has a purpose. Some of you are a finger. Some of you are a middle finger. Uh, that's, no, like, that's not supposed to sound like that. Some of you guys are the third finger, the pinky, the thumb. Some of you are a toe. Some of you are just a fingernail. And guess what? The fingernail is very important because if you don't got a fingernail, you're going to get hurt. So all of you, when we work together, we're the body. So you can't have a relationship with Jesus without the body, because if you do it, then you're trying to create your own body. And you know what you do when you try to create your own body? You're creating something else to worship. Because God is very clear on what the body looks like. And some of you are like, well, my God just wants me to do good things. And if I can do more good things than bad things, some people call this karma, then God will allow me to enter into heaven. Every movie that we watch ever plays this same ideology. Harry Potter. His mom dies for him. And that gives Harry the ability to live. And she's forever in this mystical world where she lives forever. That is not true. It doesn't matter if you died for somebody. You're not Christ. Even if you died for somebody but you never gave your life to Jesus, you still are separated from Jesus. You cannot do enough. You cannot serve enough homeless people. You cannot write enough letters. You cannot buy enough people gas. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and all you have to do is accept it, and that's the only relationship that you can have with him. Your relationship is not dependent upon just you. Your relationship is dependent upon Christ in the body in which he calls you to. So if you think that you can have your own personal relationship without the body, then you're worshiping something that ain't Jesus. And then we got this whole other side of these uh, vices that we want to hold on to. So we're like, well, my sin is not that bad. It helps me get through the day. God is okay with that. No, he's not. Like God has grace and mercy on you, but you cannot continue to choose sin over God. God wants to walk with you through it. He wants to give you a body to be with you through it. But he wants you to have a heart of repentance to where you say, I know that this is bad and I can't stop doing it yet, but God help me do it and give me the people around me to do it. He doesn't just say, say, okay, it's not that bad. It's less than what other people do, like those real bad hooligans, right? Hooligans. It's less than what they do, right, so I can hold on to it. I can keep it. I'm not murdering anybody. I'm not. Have you guys ever heard this? I'm not hurting anyone. You are hurting everybody. <laughs> because if you're worshiping a false god, then you're leading people to that false god because you ain't leading them to Jesus. 
And if you continue to put your own spins on God that are not related to the word. See, the Bible says to test every prophecy by the word of God. The book of Timothy, I was just reading it this week, it says that the scripture is good for teaching, for reproof. The, the scripture is important. The scripture teaches us the nature and the character of God. And if we continue to say we worship God, but it doesn't look like the scripture, then you're not worshiping God. God is the creator of all things. He spoke everything into existence. Now, we can have our own stories about what the age of the earth is, all of those things. You know what? I don't care. But I do care that God is creator. If you don't believe that God is creator, then you're missing out on the full perspective of God. You're missing out that God is the one who created you, to knitted you together in your mother's womb. Because if he didn't do that, then the Bible is wrong and God is a liar. And the God that I worship is not a liar because the God that I worship always comes through. And so the God that I worship creates a serpent to destroy the false gods of the time. The God that I worship takes and shows us this is me. I am bigger than any myth. I am bigger than any false theology. I am bigger than any story that you want to make up and any version that you want to lie to yourself about. I am the God of the ages. God still today is sending himself to, to destroy the idols in your life. You just got to allow him to do it. You got to be like Aaron and you just got to throw that staff down. Throwing that staff down is going to throw the power of God down. And once you throw the power of God down, he's going to consume it. You just got to believe he's going to do it. That's what the Bible says about faith. Is faith is believing that the window will be opened. The book of John says, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Believe that the window will be opened. Believe that God can do it. Now, if you're sitting there with a staff and you're like, God, I want you to take this away from me. This sin has reached the point where I just don't want it anymore. And you're like, okay, but I know you're not going to do this, but this is what you told me to do. So, bam. Of course, it's not going to happen. You've got to know that it's going to happen for God to move. You've got to trust that it's going to happen for that sin to be relieved from you. You can't just say, okay, it's going to happen, and then don't trust that it's going to happen and already making plans for what happens when it doesn't work. Right? That's what we do sometimes, right? Is we're like, God, we want you to do this. We know that you can do it. And you're already back there writing like, okay, this is what I'm going to do when it doesn't happen. This is my plan for when it doesn't work. See, God is a God that doesn't require backup plans. If you got backup plans, you ain't having faith. <laughs> Y'all feel me? Jesus didn't have a backup plan for the cross. God didn't have a backup plan for the cross. When the Sadducees and Pharisees tried to kill him, there wasn't a backup plan. Okay, this is what happens if Jesus gets killed. There's one time when they're trying to kill him, and he becomes a spirit and walks right through them. Right? Jesus had faith in God. Jesus was God. So you've got to believe that when everything surrounds you, when all your sin is creeping in on you, when you feel like you're going to break, when you feel like there's no way out, that God is the one who's going to allow you to pass through all the trouble through the power of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've got to believe that you can walk through and have the victory. Or you've got to believe that sometimes you have to endure the pain so that you can reach the victory. God destroys this false god to Mott right here. He eats her. He consumes her. He brings the picture that they thought was her, and he eats the other snakes with that. He blows the minds of the sorcerers. He shows his supremacy. It says, then in 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He still won't soften his heart. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake, the same staff, take it with you. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, he sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness, so that they may worship me in the wilderness, right? This morning I was in the wilderness and all I had to do was worship. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord with the staff that is in my hand. I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed in the blood. The fish of the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink the water. So what's happening here? Why does God turn the entire Nile River into blood? Well, this was their source of water. This is what they bathed in, all of those things. But also along with that Elihu Ali. 
is the story of Osiris. Osiris was the husband of Tabat. They were together. And then Tabat, uh, uh, Osiris's brother killed him. So Tabat, being the one of creation, comes back and resurrects him from the dead. Oh man, this is getting interesting too, right? Osiris was resurrected from the dead, right? By the God that they believed was the God of creation. So Osiris is resurrected from the dead. The Nile River was to believe to be the thing that would be his lifeline, his bloodline. This is what every year came back to Osiris and gave him life to live another year. Every year the Nile River would fill him and he would be restored. And this was the God of the Nile. The God who was resurrected from the dead. The God whose blood came from the very source of the Nile River. One of the primordial gods before creation of human beings. Osiris was with Tamat. And they were together. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think the Bible gets anything from this. I think this gets a whole lot from the Bible, though. Right? And so what we're seeing is we're seeing this God, Osiris. So God says, hey, you believe that this is a source of life, that the Nile is a source of life? You believe that this is the blood of Osiris? Let me show you what it looks like if this is really the blood of Osiris. And he turns it into blood. This says it stinks. Can you all imagine? The Nile River is big. Think about if that was all blood. Blood stinks. Many of you are privileged enough never to be in a room where there was massive amounts of blood, but blood, it just has this just musty, disgusting smell. You literally can't be in the room with all that blood. See, if the Nile was filled with that blood, it would just be this reeking smell. And then it says all of the fish died. All of the fish died. Now, there was also a God who was the God of the fish (laughs) who lived in the Nile. God killed him, right? Right here. All the fish died. They rose to the top. Now they had no food, right? They're losing food now. The Nile River's blood. He's destroyed the myth of Osiris. He said, you want to show, see what blood really looks like? Let me show you. So he destroys that myth. And God is standing there supreme. And then what happens? The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and the reservoirs, and they will turn into blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. So God says, okay, this isn't enough. Here's the Nile. It's all blood, but now every pond is blood. You guys had some water up in your stone masons in your house, blood. You thought you were fine because you could just go home and drink something you had in a bottle, blood. Right? He turns it all into blood. And then the, the, the Egyptian sorcerers come once again. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, but the Lord said, said instead, he turned and went into the palace and did not take this to heart. And the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink of the water of the river. Seven days had passed, and the Lord struck the Nile. And so here comes the Egyptian sorcerers again, and they turn something into blood. Can I ask you a question? Everything was already blood. So maybe they found a little bit of water, maybe they dug up in the Nile, they got uh, some actual water, and then they turned it into blood. But it doesn't say it stunk, it doesn't say it was this or that, it says probably most likely they just stuck some food coloring up in a little cup of water, and the Pharaoh was like, that's good enough for me. Right? All the water was already blood. They couldn't have done it to the magnitude that God did it to. Now, we don't see that in Scripture, but we do see that God turned everything into blood. And so it's very interesting that God says all of that before the sorcerers actually turn it into blood, right? God is setting us up. God is teaching us. He's saying everything was already blood, people. Their, their uh, miracle had to have been lesser than my miracle because they had to just find a little bit somewhere. And so God turns us all into blood. Then they try to do it. See, we were talking about earlier those false gods that we like to worship, that sin that we like to worship and hang on to. See, we think it's going to get us to where we need to go. We think it's going to make us happy. We think it's going to give us peace. But all it's really going to do is be lesser than what you could have had. 
It's just lesser than what you could have had. Just like the Egyptian magicians. The Egyptian magicians, that is hard to say. They give something less than what they could have had, and Pharaoh accepts the less than because he's not ready to give up his pride. He's not ready to trust God. See, everybody in this room, you have something less than that you're playing into. You might have a marriage You might have a car, you might have whatever the case may be, and you're discrediting that for something else. Or you're saying, well, God could heal me, but marijuana makes me feel real good. Or you say, well, maybe God could heal me, but this pill helps me get through the day. Or you're saying, well, I have a marriage, I have this, but it scares me, so pornography sounds a lot easier. Or you say, well, my wife is fine, but this woman is a lot better. Or you say, my husband is fine, but this woman is a lot sweeter. And you start to get caught up in all of this. You start to get caught up in all of these what-ifs, all of these possibilities, all of these insufficiencies, and you begin to hold on to them, and then you're never able to take possession of the full blessing of what God has given you because you're so caught up in how you get it done that you forget that God's the only one who can get it done you get so consumed with I can do it the truth is you can't do it you can't change someone you can't make their heart be better you can't heal yourselves of your trauma you can't heal yourself of your addiction you can't do it but God can But God wants to do it through the word of God, through prayer, and through the church and the community he's placed you in. So every time you lean out of that, you're leaning into falseness. Every time you lean into the pills, every time you lean into the pornography, every time you lean into the alcohol, every time you lean out, you're leaning out of what can heal you, and you're taking possession of something very less than. And guess what's going to happen next week? You're going to be in the same spot. Some of you are just fed up with your life. Some of you are fed up with trying. Because every single week you're just in the same spot. Come to church, but you're still in the same spot. Church is not going to heal you. It's going to be a part of your healing. But what you do throughout the week, that's the work you're putting in with God to actually accept the healing. The Egyptian magicians give him a small piece of what Pharaoh could have had. Because the reality is, Pharaoh could have turned from his wicked ways. Pharaoh had free will. He had the ability to accept the greater. He just wasn't willing to accept the greatness. Want to know why? Because Pharaoh had a lot of things. We see another parable of this in the New Testament with the parable of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. He says, I want to follow you. He says, well, keep my commands. He says, I've done that ever since I was a kid. And Jesus is thinking in his head, no, you haven't. Because then you would be me. Right? Some of y'all get in that mindset. Man, I'm doing so good for God. I do everything perfectly. No, you don't. Come to God humbly. And say, God, I can't do it without you. I need you every day. Every morning I need you. The rich young ruler says, I got it covered. Okay. Then Jesus says this, here's what I want you to do. Sell everything that you have and follow me. Now, why does Jesus say that? Why did Jesus tell him to sell everything that he has and follow me? Does Jesus want us to all live a life of poverty and live in our cars? No. He's making a point to this rich young ruler. He's saying, value me over all you think you have. Value me over all the possessions. Value me over all the relationships. Value me over the sin. Value me over all the false gods. And I will give you the following that you're looking for. I will give you the gift that you're looking for. Just follow me. See, God right here is speaking to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh just keeps letting his heart become hard. God is trying to speak to the Egyptians in terms that they can understand. He's trying to say, all these false gods that you have, all this false worship that you have, let me show you what I look like. Let me show you what you could have. Instead of accepting the lesser, you can accept the fullness. Man, as human beings, here's why we always accept the lesser. Because we believe that that's what we're worth. We always accept the lesser because we believe that's all we're worthy of. 
We got women in here. We got men in here except the lesser because that's what they feel like their value is. We got marriages in here. You accept the bare minimum because you feel like that's what your value is. At your job, you feel like that you're not worthy to be something bigger, so you accept what you are and you do the worst that you can so that you can get home and get done. You accept the lesser because that's what you feel like your value is. Now then there's the flip side of that where you work as hard as you possibly can because you want to be valued and you don't feel like God can value you, so you try to show him how valuable you are. See, neither one of those ways is the way to serve the Lord. The way to serve the Lord is to sit with the Lord. The way to serve the Lord is to be in his word. The way to serve the Lord is to allow him to cleanse you. The way to serve the Lord is to be in his community. The way to serve the Lord is to worship. And from those things, what you see is you see an outpouring of the Lord from your body. You see that no longer is everything a burden to you. You see that you actually care about people now. You see that you actually want to love them. That you actually want to worship. That you actually want to be around the people that God has called you to be around because he's changing your heart. The book of Corinthians says that when we come to know Jesus, we become a new creation. It says that the old is dead and the new has come. It says that we're constantly going through a renewing of our minds. See, some of us are trying to worship God with an old mind. Some of us are trying to worship God with the old body. And all he wants to do is he wants you to come out so you can realize that worship doesn't look like being who you were and worshiping who he is. Worship looks like allowing him to, allowing him to make you into who he's called you to be and worshiping the truth of who he is. Worship looks like he's given you the amazing gift. Will you accept it? See, the blood of the Nile is this beautiful picture, right? This beautiful picture. Jesus in John chapter 4 says that I am the living water. Come to me and you'll never thirst again. Then later on he says, I have food. The disciples come to him and they say, eat something. And he says, I have food which you not know about. And they say, Where did, who gave this dude food? And he says, my, my food is to do the will of the Father. See, the Nile River may be turned into blood. But what we forget is that blood can be cleansing. What we forget is that blood can be cleansing. What we forget is that through these two plagues, these through miracles, what God is showing us is whose supremacy, who he is. He's showing us there may be all this false stuff, there may be all this sin, but I have control over all of it. I can cleanse you like you've never been cleansed before. I can give you the healing that you're looking for. I can give you freedom. I can give you victory where you can come and worship. I can give you victory. Let my people go so that they can worship in the wilderness. That means you don't know what it's going to look like, but just worship me and I'll take you where you need to go. Let my people go so they can worship in the wilderness. See, Pharaoh is a perfect picture of sin and how it grips us and won't let go. Pharaoh is the perfect picture of Satan, how he grips us and won't let go. Everything in our lives wants to pull us away from him. Everything in our lives wants to pull us down. But God, the God of victory, the God of miracles, the God who can take a staff and turn it into a tanin. He can set you free. All you got to do is say, set me free. All you got to do is live in the victory of who God is. All you got to do is want the freedom and believe that he can give it to you. All you got to do is take a step in the wilderness, not knowing what it's going to look like, but knowing all you got to do is worship. See, some of you in here today, you're not, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and we can talk about that in a moment. But some of you in here today, you do have a relationship with Jesus, and you're just going through a really, really hard time. You just feel broken. You feel unworthy. You feel like you've tried to do everything that you can do, but it's just not working. Isaac's going to come up, and we're going to do communion in a few minutes. But before we do that, I'll, I just feel a burden from the Holy Spirit right now for a couple people in this room. And I don't know who you are, but God is just speaking to me that you need some prayer. That you're burdened, that you're hurting, that you're broken, that you have questions for God, that you can't figure out exactly what's going on in your own life. 
that you need to give some stuff up, but you're just so fearful of giving it up because you don't know what the wilderness looks like. You feel like you can't worship right now. You feel like you got nowhere to go. You got so many questions, but you don't know how to get the answers. If you all bow your heads and close your eyes, we're going to do a time of prayer, and then we're going to move into some other stuff. But if you need some prayer, can you raise your hand and I'll have someone come pray for you? Here's the deal. I already know that there's people in this room who need to be prayed for. Just raise your hand so I don't got to send people to pray for you. Sarah, will you come pray here over here? Lauren Fleming, can you come pray? Hey, who else? Let us pray for you. Let your body come around you. Let your church be with you. If you want victory, it, it might be a little scary to have someone come lay their hand on you, but they need to lay their hand on you. Come on, if you, if you need some prayer, raise your hand. Let us come pray for you. Let us come pray for you. Some of you need prayer, but you're a little scared to raise your hand. That's okay. I'm going to get a girl to come pray over here. Uh, Jenna, can you, Jenna and Danielle, would you all mind praying for me? Uh, right here. Someone come pray for her. Now, while they're praying with those people, I, I, the people who are not being prayed with, here's what I need you to do. And maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and that's the reality. Hey, I, I'm just feeling the Spirit a lot right now, so you guys just bear with me. Some of you might not be super comfortable with this yet, but I feel the Spirit right now in my heart. I, he's telling me there's someone in here who needs a relationship with Jesus. I'm not about to make you walk the aisle. I'm not about to do any of those things. What I want you to do is I want you to come find me afterwards. Stop trying to do it by yourself. Stop trying to get freedom through your own ability. Because I'll tell you what, the only thing that getting freedom through your own ability does is it locks you in the cage even further. It puts more and more locks in the door and it's harder and harder to get out. Hey, if you need a relationship with Jesus, come find me afterwards. If you want to raise your hand and you want me to come find you, just raise your hand and I'll come find you right after we let out. If you need a relationship with Jesus, just raise that hand up, come find me afterwards, and we'll talk. We'll get into it. We'll talk about how Jesus came for you. How Jesus saw you. God created you with Christ and he said I want you to be perfect and then sin creeped in and sin got you through Adam and Eve and now you were born with a sin nature now you sin and you don't even know why you sin or you disobey and you don't even know why you disobey we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God because of us falling short of the glory of God we're, we're destined to separation without God some people call this hell, but the real bad part of hell is that God's not there. And so God, in His perfect love for you, said, I can't have it. And so He sent His Son to earth to live for you. And His Son lived for you and had a perfect life for you. And they still beat Him, ridiculed Him, and mocked Him. And they sent Him to die a criminal's death, but that was okay because that was God's plan anyway. That was God's plan anyway. So they sent him to the cross. And Jesus died on the cross. But he didn't stay dead because three days he was resurrected from the dead. Three days he came back in power. Women found him. See, what's interesting about this is people discredited women back then. They felt like they were unworthy. And God, the first people he showed up to was women. So even when you feel unworthy, even when you feel like you're not worth it, God wants to show up to you and he wants to use you. And so he lived on earth and fought on earth for 40 days, even after he resurrected. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now his perfect blood covers you because on the cross he took all of your sin.
and it now covers you. The blood of Jesus covers you so that you can have freedom in the victory of Christ. You can have freedom through the blood of Jesus. Time to give up all the idols, all the false worship, and worship the one true, the living God. The only one who can, the only one who did, and the only one that is and is is going to be. God wants you. God wants you to live in relationship with Him. You may have pain. You may have suffering, but remember what Romans 5 says about pain and suffering. In your suffering, God is, take joy in your suffering because your suffering is producing perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. See, God is with you always because the presence of God lives inside of you. The presence of God is with you. The presence of God wants you, wants to have victory with you. God wants you to have victory like you've never had before. God wants you to have freedom like you've never had before. And so in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of everything that's going on in your life, God is Lord. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He sees your worthiness not based on what you do, but based on who he is. And so in the midst of your addiction, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of everything that you want to do except for what God has you to do, let God defeat it. And have victory. Because God desires you. And you have so much purpose that you don't even know about. God wants to use you to change others' lives. You might be like, man, I'm not worthy to be used like that. The truth is you're not worthy to be used like that. That's reality. But because Jesus died for you, you're the most worthy person he's ever saw. He wants you to make a difference in others' lives. He wants you to use the suffering to show other people his glory. He wants you to use every mistake to show how he never left you through all the pain, all the suffering, all the mistake, all of that. He wants you to see that he was with you. That he has victory for you. All he wants from you is to be committed to him. Father God, thank you for who you are, that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings, that your victory is accomplished through the blood of Christ. Not through my own pain, not through my own suffering, not through what I could do, but what you did, Father God. We thank you for that. We love you for that. We praise you for that. We give you all praise, honor, and glory because you are bigger, stronger, mightier. You are the Lord. Father God, we love you. Father God, we praise you. Father God, we know you. And Father God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.